Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest, and soon to be in Las Vegas with my co-host in a couple days, Matt Morris. What's up, dude? Let's go. Vegas is ready for us. It's not going to be 100 degrees. I was just talking about the weather. You're like, oh, this is cold. This is cold. Where I live by the beach, so anything, at least at this point, over 85 degrees is warm. So I'm stoked to see you in a couple days, but happy Tuesday night when we usually record. How you doing, bro? Hell yeah, brother. Yeah, we're excited. Um, you know, we've, we wanted to get up and see you before the the wedding, and that's just not the reality of this year, which is really unfortunate. Um, but you're coming out here, so you know we'll have to all have to make that drive in September or October, and you know, kind of get out of the city. But excited to see you in a couple of days. And um, yeah. dude, it's a it's it's a holiday for for me at least. It is Ellie De La Cruz Day. I'm officially yeah. announcing June 6, twenty twenty three, as uh, the cemented holiday. And I had hyped him with you just a couple of weeks ago. And um, I think it was last week, actually. Was it last Honestly, week? Yeah. I think it was last week. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were talking about how he, and this is it, right? He should have came up against Milwaukee on Friday. Milwaukee takes three of four games from Cincinnati. They call up Andrew Abbott, who we'd also talked about. Uh, he beats them on Monday. And, um, you know, I wake up late afternoon today because I stayed up far too late last night to a fantastic text from you that I saw right away, which was Ellie got the call. And then I had I had random people that I don't often talk to actually sending me similar things. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I think the book is out that I like Ellie De La Cruz. But um, yeah, very, very fun for baseball, man. Had a good first game. Yeah, it was cool. I uh, I saw his, I saw on Twitter, I just I searched his at bat on Twitter because you were like first ball 112 miles an hour that he hit. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and the hit was cool. It was a nice liner in the gap, but it was what you had talked about last week, the strides, the speed. The like freak, but natural athleticism. You know, he was really fast and really strong, but it didn't look like he was trying that hard. You know, kind of looked like a uh, like Randy Moss running out there a little bit, right? Like just a little lanky, more muscles than Moss, but it didn't look hard. And he was fucking all over the diamond. He was picking it up and putting it down. Super cool for the Reds. I know we had talked about which teams have a chance. You know, the Orioles, the Reds, like some of these sleeper teams, but um. Hopefully they make a little bit of a run this year. Maybe go sign a free agent and and make it interesting in the central. Because you and I were talking about game planning for what we're going to do for the next couple of months with the pod. We're going to start getting into the NFL and doing divisions. But talk about a division that's wide open for Major League Baseball, and it's the NL Central because what we thought would happen to the Cardinals last year with their starting pitching is happening this year to mm-hmm. them, where they literally have no arms. Wayne Wright is finally done you know i mean obviously he's still pitching but his era is terrible um the nl central is wide open for the taking it can be anyone's division now either this year or for the next upcoming year so um i was stoked to see him get called up today and i didn't watch that movie package but i did see his highlights well and i um this is you know we've we've complained about this on the show for going on three years now with major league baseball and in blackouts being in yeah. vegas i'm blacked out for almost the entire west coast and of course, the Reds. When I saw your text this morning, I was like, "Gosh darn it, they're playing the Dodgers!" Like, I'm not even going to watch get to watch my favorite young player's first game. Yep. But my really good buddy Dylan at work um, gave me, you know, he gave me the hookup, which is, uh, you know, the streamable, <laughs> let's just say, underground connection. So I got to I got to stream this game, and um, you know, it was it was I was nervous for him for his first at bat. I think I wasn't obviously more nervous than he was, but I was like, God, there's so much pressure that I have put on this kid from my own perspective and what he can do. 
and you've got, you know, probably the most amount of fans in Cincinnati at a ball game all season and probably in the past few years here for him as they're all on their feet for this kid. And uh, he didn't disappoint. And what was cool was I could feel the energy from the the broadcast booth in, in the shift because I've watched a Reds games here and there this year, just looking for certain matchups and whatnot. And it's been kind of lackluster because the team is bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Doing the broadcast booth was they were electric tonight. They were filled with energy. And um, he had a couple opportunities late in the game to make an impact. I think in his first recorded out, he grounded out to second with a couple of guys on that was like, okay, you know, he had a chance to, to do some damage there. But the Reds ended up coming back and winning in the ninth inning, nine to eight. And, you know, this, he was on deck. So he would have had an opportunity, you know, for say, if, uh, if the shortstop uh, Matt McClain had gotten out. But you could tell the difference in this team throughout the innings that I watched where it was like, they're shifting. This one player has shifted the entire like mentality of this team to, we have a shot to win tonight. And even down eight to three, hey, you know, we got a shot to win. We're going to plug away eight to five. Okay. Like we've got Ellie, you know, we've got a couple other young kids. Like we're not out of this game. And it's really interesting to see in baseball how one player can make such an impact just by being on the field where you don't often see that with a lot of other teams. Milwaukee doesn't have that. We could go through the list. Like mm. Braves have that with Acuna. Padres have that with Tatis. Yankees have that with Judge. There's a handful of guys that make a team feel like, hey, we're still in it. And I think Ellie De La Cruz is going to be one of those guys. Yeah, and a credit to the fans, right? Like they showed up to your point. Like that's a that's a smart baseball market, Cincinnati, you know? And there's been, I think before the season, we had talked about how they had such a low payroll and all this. And I, I hate to give the front office credit, but they had a plan, right? You know, they, they set up their minor leaguers. They're going to have these young kids come up. Hopefully if they're in the race, they uh, they sign someone um, or make a trade for one of these big name pitchers or whatever position they might need. I'm sure they probably need a lot more than just a pitcher. Um, but at the end of the day, like shout out to the fans because you said one player made the team believe it was the fans that made the team believe, you know, that they saw the full crowd, everyone cheering into the game. That's going to get anyone up as a player, as a professional athlete. Right. And you're going to play harder. It's going to rejuvenate the broadcasters, it's just going to rejuvenate everyone. And it shows a sense of hope. It actually, um, from the clips that I saw, like I said, I didn't watch the game, but the clips that I saw from the crowd and things that I saw on social media, it reminded me a little bit of when Yasiel Puig came up to the Dodgers. And now the Dodgers were obviously more established than the Cincinnati Reds, but the, the Reds, but there has been all this chat about Yasiel Puig and what he'd been doing in the minor leagues. And he was going to come and save the Dodgers and be this guy and be this hero. Um, I could see that kind of draw from Nelly uh, out in Cincinnati. And obviously he has much more potential than Yasiel did. He's younger than he was when not Yasiel got pulled up. But that's the kind of vibe and hype that I saw in the crowd. And I don't, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's been a long time since we've seen a prospect come from the minor leagues that basically sold out a stadium night one, right? It's been a long time. I, I can't think of anything recently. Yeah, I, you know, if there was one, it would have been Fernando Tatis. Um, they called him up directly from double A and there was hype around him, but I, I don't think there was the same kind of a hype um, in regards to like franchise saving. Right. This is, this is what Ellie is, is marked with. Um, he has to turn around a franchise that has been bad for roughly 10 years. They have a couple of decent years sprinkled and we went over, we went over the record last episode, but it reminded me a lot of um, of Puig. You think you said that perfectly. 
reminded me a lot of, and I don't want to put him in the same stratosphere, but of LeBron, where you're putting a lot of hope on this kid's freak athletic ability. And you see it play out immediately in front of you where you're like, oh my gosh, like we haven't had a talent like this probably since Griffey. Yeah. And he may not turn out to be anything. There's it's baseball, you know, you got to see, but if he turns out to be Fernando Tatis, he changes the entire face of this organization overnight. You know, he, the evaluation of how much this franchise is valued at goes up. We saw that with Giannis in Milwaukee. Um, he changes everything about it. And a large number of the players around him came up with him. You have Steer, you have um, Jonathan India, who was ahead of him in one rookie of the year, but is still very young. You have Matt McLean, who played with him at AA and AAA. Uh, you have Christian Encarnacion, who we talked about, who should be coming up. You have Andrew Abbott, who played with him at AAA. Like this reminds me a lot of you said it last episode: the Kansas City Royals, the Milwaukee Brewers with Braun and Fielder. Like you bring these guys up together, and you see how the fans react to maybe one singular player, but the team as well. You're like, okay, this is a group I can play with. Yeah. Um, and and that in itself changes a lot about baseball. Yeah, and it's great for the small market teams, right? Yep. And that's what makes baseball great is all it takes is one prospect. <laughs> I think we talked about it kind of a lot last episode, but just, you know, maybe five to ten, eight years of tanking. But at the end of the day, that's what pumps out the Houston Astros, pumped out that Royals team for half a decade, right? Maybe we'll see it here in Cincinnati. We're seeing it in Baltimore, seeing it in Tampa Bay now for about 10 years. Eh, maybe not 10 years, but Tampa's been strong for – a while now with their system and their farm. Um, You know, so we'll see a lot of good things out of these small market teams that will balance out the New York Mets of the world, the LA Dodgers of the world, the Yankees and surprise some people and bring some excitement because the money's great and the superstars are awesome. But these guys, like his natural ability running around the bases was crazy. It really was Mm -hmm. like, I was shocked to see how easy he made it look and how fast he was and how big he was. So um, you don't see that too much in baseball now. You don't see as many of those physical freaks, but obviously we have Aaron Judge and different things. But I'm stoked for him. I'm stoked for you and other like massive, massive baseball fans. Yeah, and and I think what's interesting too is, is Ellie um, is a really good example, much like Wander Franco is in Tampa, of the onward push for an international draft because Ellie was signed, Wander was signed, Ronald was Ronald Acuna in Atlanta was signed. Juan Soto was signed. Uh, some of these massive superstars were scouted and developed, but they were free for anyone to have. And the Reds signed them, and the Rays signed them, and the Braves signed them. And then you look at what we've talked about with Baltimore. Baltimore's farm system is, I think, if I were to look at the numbers of their top prospects, almost all draft picks. So when you talked about tanking, Baltimore had no choice but to tank. They didn't sign these guys. Milwaukee Brewers signing Jackson Churio, who's top five prospect in baseball. Not the same kind of intangible uh, skills athletically that Ellie has, but a very, very good prospect signed him. And it's one of the things that was pushed into the latest collective bargaining agreement was that they want to have an international draft so that everyone has the opportunity to possibly get an Ellie De La Cruz, even if you weren't the first one to approach mom and dad. And um, it's interesting because these these small market teams are being rewarded right now for that scouting and for that development. But that might be taken away if you give the Dodgers the third overall pick in the international draft and they happen to sign Ellie De La Cruz. You know, they had Jordan Alvarez signed, traded him to Houston. They had O'Neill Cruz from Pittsburgh signed, 
traded him. Like you think about the Dodgers and their international ability. They've done an amazing job as well. They have a kid down in the minor leagues right now who's supposed to be the next Jordan Alvarez at 18 years old. Um, just very interesting to see how Major League Baseball is changing and, and how the luck just happened to work for the Reds. This was their fifth ever Dominican Republic signing, fifth ever. And it happened to be a kid that I'm watching on a field look like Giannis or LeBron, where it's just like, <laughs> yeah, dude, the physical traits are, they're in your face. Like you said, you don't see that in baseball. And they happened to sign a young kid that turned into this. Um, very happy for Cincinnati. Yeah, me too. I- I'm stoked for them. Um, on more of a somber note, oh. I know we, uh, other baseball news, I, I think it dropped today. Yeah, it dropped today. Mm-hmm. Dave, we recording was DeGrom is officially having Tommy John. Um, not only is his season done, his career, I wouldn't say is done, but I, I, I fear we've seen the last of the great Jacob DeGrom. You know, he may be able to transition his game and his style similar to what we're seeing from Kershaw. In, in, you know, L.A., I don't think he'll throw as slow as Kershaw, but second Tommy John surgery in what, Matt, five, six years? Um, yeah. Sorry to, to put you on the spot there, but I'll, I'll keep going while you look. But just at the end of the day, you and I have been talking about this, honestly, since we started the podcast, that DeGrom puts a lot of stress on that elbow. He's always having forearm issues, and he's just been kind of putting off the forearm strains, sitting out, missing time, and... I don't want to say this was inevitable that he was going to end up tearing his UCL and needing Tommy John, but it wasn't the most surprising news I've seen in a while, but it it was sad to see that he is going to have to undergo surgery again. And I fear that the best of DeGrom is is behind us and he's going to be, I don't want to say an average pitcher, but he's never going to be what he was. So first Tommy John um, was directly after he was drafted in 2010. So we're at okay. So about it's been a long time, thirteen, thirteen years. years. Um, and I wanted to pull this up, and I got it up before we were started recording tonight because it was something that I was really thinking deep about today, and I, I needed some clarity. Obviously, for the listener, I've played fantasy baseball. Baseball is my probably my number one sport, maybe paired with football come football season. But um, I know a lot about baseball. So I was thinking today about his injury. I was really bummed out. Saw the interview, which was really disheartening. Like he, he was sure. in tears and, and it was more because he was sad for his team. I think he knew he signed this contract to be the number one guy to be the ace. And he was in tears because he can't perform for his team. Um, and that's, that's hard. You know, that's like a quarterback tearing an ACL and being out for the year. It, it, you want to be out there for your guys, but <clears throat> that started making me think. And I was like, okay, no DeGrom had a UCL sprain, which is in medical terms, it's a small tear. And I was like, I want to say it was 19, 20 or 21. And I was like, I know the Mets chose rehab and rehabil- uh, rehabilitation over Tommy John right. surgery or an internal bracing, which is something new that's being done. Um, anyways, I wanted to look into when it actually happened. So back in 2001, Jacob DeGrom hit the 10 day IL on uh, his last pitched game in 2021 was July 7th. And did the MRI, had inflammation, also had a small UCL tear. And I think it's really interesting because even back then, I remember thinking to myself, okay, DeGrom's dominating. And at that point, he was the best in the world. It's a small tear. This almost 99% of the time leads to Tommy John. Um, Zach Gallen for the Diamondbacks had a small tear as well. He's been doing pretty good. I had wrote him off after that small tear came out and he's maybe the 1% of this 100% share. Like We'll see though. We'll see. 
Daisuke Tanaka for the Yankees. Um, Matsuzaka Tanaka, I probably butchered that, but it's been a few years. He also chose rest and rehabilitation over um, Tommy John. Never was the same pitcher. So when the Mets chose to do this, I was very skeptical of it, and I was really concerned that they were doing it because they knew Jacob deGrom's contract after 22 was over. So they thought to themselves, probably, let's get him through this contract. Let's do rest and rehabilitation and try to get the most out of him we can. And when that contract is up, we'll let him walk. And I'm sure, too, if this was presented to him, it was, you can probably pitch another 100 innings on this. You can get your next contract, and you will probably need Tommy John. Um, here we are today, June 6, and he's under the knife. Um, it's no surprise to anyone in the baseball circle that this was eventually going to happen. My only hope is that everything that stemmed from his medical history over the last two and a half years stemmed from the elbow injury, the lat injury, the shoulder injury. I'm hoping everything was a result of him putting too much stress on his um, counterbalancing muscles where he was straining them. Because if he can have this Tommy John and come back in a year and a half, come back 2025, being fully healthy, there's a very good chance that he gives us more of a Verlander end to his career than he gives us a Chris Sale end of his career. Chris Sale's story is still unwritten fully, but it's not looking great. Um, we have another shoulder injury for Sale. My point is, if the UCL was the determining factor for all his illness, I think there's a good shot. We see a very good version of DeGrom. We may even very well see a two, three-month stretch of DeGrom again. But if the UCL was not the main factor, if it was the velocity, if it was all of the violence that his arm creates, we will probably never, ever see a DeGrom again because his shoulder and his lat will continue to be a problem because he throws too hard for his body. Yeah, that's a great take. I think you're right. I, I, I'm hoping it's the, uh, like, as, as you said, it's, it's not the Chris sale ending. Right. Yeah. I, and I think he's such a professional, right. And he's such a great pitcher. I do think all those other injuries did stem from him overcompensating, for the elbow like it, yeah. it was the only thing that made sense every time he got hurt and every time we talked about it on this pod because that first um initial small tear i think was right when we started this when we didn't still i mean we're still figuring it out but really didn't know what the hell we were doing you had explained to me and our listeners from day one about yeah you can pitch with this small tear right otani had i don't know if otani had the small tear but he had something with the ucl um Tanaka for the, the Yankees was the other one who pitched all the way through the playoffs and did his best um and it ends up 99% of the time yeah. not working out long term right because it has a tear like yeah. you're, you're gonna continue to stress and put um pressure on that so it was a bummer man the Rangers have what the third second best record in all of the major leagues right now um they've been spending money Matt so maybe do you think they'll go make a move uh, around trade deadline to go get another pitcher. Well, here's the deal, man. Um, their offense is dangerous. Amazing. I mean, um, you know, I think back on baseball in the last 10 years and I think to myself, like they're, they're producing at a level of, of the great teams. There's a really quick stat I want to throw out there. Cause I think it was fun. I saw it this week and I haven't cross checked it, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. There was a stat online that uh, the Oakland A's have scored more runs than the vicious San Diego Padres this year, uh, which if is true, is it's just embarrassing. I need to cross check that. Um, the Rangers are definitely not in that same classification. I, I think there's a chance that they could win the World Series without him. 
Um, now again, come October, you cannot rely on your juggernaut of an offense to continue to be a juggernaut. But this season, there's just no pitching staffs that I'm saying, oh damn, they're going to shut down. They're going to shut down the Rangers. You know, Garrett yeah, Cole's down. True. You know, across the, the, the league, Sandy Alcantara is down. Corbin Burns is down. Like these pitchers just aren't dominating this season because of the juice ball. But and the um, pitch clock. everything, right? Um, I would love to see them go get Corbin Burns, you know, go, go get another ace and, and have, have your ace until DeGrom can come back in a year and a half. But the problem is they just don't have the minor league system to mm. offer the Brewers or the Marlins, you know, or maybe the Giants with Webb. They just don't have a package. Um, everyone that I can see of value for them is either up in, in, um, in young at third or is injured in Kumar Rocker from Vanderbilt, who just had Tommy John. Mm. And and Jack Leiter, who is one of their top picks as well, just hasn't shown the same kind of pedigree that would give him a, a um, an A-tier prospect chip. So if they do, it's going to have to be five, six guys, and a team's just going to have to be taking a shot. And I, I just don't see them having the pieces to go out and get it, at least in a top-flight pitcher. Gotcha. Um, side note from that, that's that, that's really good info. Are the Marlins really considering trading Alcantara? Like, is that is, oh, is no. there a is there a package for him? Like, is there enough prospects from some team that can get him out of Miami um, after a Cy Young season? Like, is that is that really a thing, or you just say that to you just throw his name out there? Just no, no, no. I just threw his yeah. name out there. Okay. Um, okay. Now the Marlins are always, I, I believe, they're always willing to make a deal. And I think it, so too. That's why I asked. I think I think if you were to call them, um, you would have to have a Jackson Holiday, an LA De La Cruz, uh Jackson Churio type player as your lead pitch, and then you'd have to follow. Um yeah, you know, I feel we're that. gonna we're gonna give you a chip prospect, top five in the game, guaranteed position player for the next ten years. May may not be an all star because you never know. Um, but could also be a Hall of Famer. Um, and then we're going to give you three guys that out of the three, two will probably be maybe a starter or a bench guy. And then the third, fourth, maybe complete wild cards. Um, but I do. I always think they're willing to to make a deal. You know, Jazz Chisholm was proof of that with Zach Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, perfect. Anything else for baseball before we uh, move on to <laughs> To golf talk, but more or less uh, <laughs> different it, it, swing. Go, yeah, go, a golf talk that will turn into sports talk. Any, yeah. Anything else in baseball we're missing? Um, no, I mean, you know, big thing was was the LA News Degrom today. Um, you know, it's funny. Other publications that focus more on baseball have talked about how we have officially gotten into like the boring days. Um, only other thing the is dog days. The as dog days. We are in summer now. Uh, I think coming up on the equinox. But um, last thing, I guess, is um, the rookie leagues have started. They started this week. So a lot of the 16, 17, 18-year-olds that were signed internationally are, are in now Arizona. They're also in Florida. And then the Dominican Summer League started. So there could be some names I throw out there this summer that you know kids start playing really well. Um, Ethan Salas is 17 years old. He came up, I want to say, two weeks ago in low A um, as a 16-year-old. So he had his home run, his first official like uh, minor league home run today. Uh, kid looks like That's he's crazy. 28 years old. I mean, he's dude, he's just jacked. 17. Isn't that crazy? 16 years old playing in low A yeah, and a dude. normal 16 year old is playing high school ball, probably sophomore maybe. To below average. Yeah. 
Jason <laughs> yeah, sophomore on in high school. JV. This cool this kid's signed by a major league team for five million. Signed up for five million. Wow, I was just gonna say pennies on the dollar, yeah. but never mind. Um five million is a lot for sixteen years old. It's the uh, so right now it's the max slotted bonus you can like you get nowadays teams are given an amount of money and there's a max for the, like the most you can spend on a player. Five million is what Dominguez signed with the Yankees and what Ethan signed with the Padres for. That's so crazy. And for those teams, that's just a drop in the bucket. You know, mm-hmm. five million. Sure. Hopefully this if this kid pans out great. If he doesn't like well, we'll cut dude, our losses think on about, that investment. Think about what Sam Bradford got that he was the last yeah. one of the bullshit rookie deals where I think right, it was like right. eighty million dollars first overall pick. And right. it's like that's a lot of money. You're talking I think about it was fully five, guaranteed too. Yeah. And it's like you're talking about five million dollars for the opportunity that you might sign the next LA De La Cruz. Like you talk about a disparity in in the way these leagues are in. And that's why the NFL changed their rules, right? Like it just wasn't fair to the veterans. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, five million dollars that you could come up on a guy in three to four years, that's mm-hmm. a four hundred million dollar. We'll just say two hundred million dollar guy. Yeah. It's a no well, brainer. And seven years then, right? As as the CBA currently writes, where you've got these made this made this Tatis superstar, where basically you're paying him pennies on the dollar unless you do what the Padres did, where they're like, Screw it, you're so good. We're gonna lock <laughs> we'll you up for your you. career. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but we won't put in the clause that you can't jump on a motorcycle ever again, <laughs> um, or take steroids, you know, whatever. Um, I digress. Uh, okay, speaking of millions and million-dollar men, though, uh, we had the big breaking story come out today from Liv in the PGA Tour. Some are saying a succession deal, a handshake deal, a deal that people did not hear about, that it was maybe just one to two gentleman that said yeah we're gonna merge pga and live today now matt we might have to break this down for the audience from the top and for you so what you don't know anything really about this live tour and what was going on with them outside of the fact that anyone who was playing there was being called a terrorist right like that that, that's kind of where you're at on this whole situation all i know is from the very beginning is that the saudis were gonna pony up a ridiculous amount of cash to create a league that was supposed to rival PGA with the hope that their bankroll could eventually one day overtake PGA with talent. That was that's all I really knew. And and that there yeah. was controversy amongst the uh, the athletes of the sport. Yeah. So that is somewhat true and they were fronted and the headman for the live tour was the was the was the shark Greg Norman, legendary PGA golfer, right? Um and their big conquest to kind of kick off the live tour and PGA players going to live was Phil Mickelson. I think he signed a $250 million deal. It was 200 plus million. Um, then they got Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, and then a lot of lower level PGA tour players that you wouldn't know that I somewhat know only because I gamble on the game. But regardless, they made tens of millions of dollars for going over to live. And what live did was things that the PGA didn't meaning they were providing transportation costs or covering transportation costs for their players, covering housing room and board for their players at their events. Um, Their different style of play was there was only a three day tournament, not a four day tournament. They were, from what I understand, they were having um, the, the they were having the players play in teams and individually. So you could root for the, 
you know, the, the Jaguars or the Packers of whatever team it might be. And also rooting for your same player at the same time. So they're changing the game a little bit. Um, but if you all remember from last year, the big controversy was that it was ruining the integrity of golf. So long story short is that the PGA tour <laughs> behind closed doors merges with live. And we have guys like Will Zalatoris, Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, um, who are some of the biggest named Tiger Woods, obviously, but I'm going to leave him out of it because money maybe isn't as relevant to him, even though they offered him $800 million, which is a massive price tag. But a lot of these guys bent over backwards, stuck their neck out for the PGA Tour, like Colin, like Rory McIlroy, saying, yeah, I'd rather play for the PGA, for the legacy, for the trophy, not the money, for the PGA to turn their back on them. Um, and what we kind of wanted to talk about here, because this isn't necessarily a big golf show, is that I think this is a really harsh reminder for fans and for you know viewers of sports to not get mad at the player when they do what's best for them. You know what I mean? Because the organization, ownership, leagues are always going to look out for themselves when guys like Will Zalatoris specifically, I think he lost $150 million by not going to live and hurt his back in the PGA Championship tournament at the end of the year last year and still hasn't fully recovered from it to play his top-tier golf. And he's only 22, 23 years old. This back injury can linger throughout the rest of his career when he could have made a $150 million payday and the PGA, uh, PGA Tour sold out for them. Well, and I think this is a fantastic um, kind of showcase for all athletes, as you kind of just alluded to. And what it reminds me of is the 1994 Major League Baseball strike. It might have been 96, but I want to say 1994. Um, you know, ended the Major League Baseball season. Question was in turn, does the 95 season play? And I watched a really nice video on it the other day, and it was um, regarding a few people within the sport that were actually, and they were managers or ownership that were standing up for their players, one being the owner for the Orioles because he was concerned about Cal Ripken's legacy and his consecutive games uh, played streak. And the idea was going into the twenty or the 1995 season was that they were going to have replacement players come in and start the season because the union and the league were at such a standoff. And the owner for the Orioles said, no, absolutely not. Like this ruins Cal Ripken's 2,000 consecutive games played. And then you had Sparky Anderson for the um, Detroit Tigers say, I'm not, I'm not managing replacement level players. But my point of that is you have players that overnight decided that what the league was trying to do in their new set of collective bargaining rules was in their, not in their interest. And they had no choice but to strike. Look at all the money that they lost. That was the longest labor strike in sports history up until that point. And the reason I bring that up is because as an athlete, you have no choice but to do what is in your best favor at all times. Because at any given point, the league or the Players Association can turn off the light switch. And I think the most recent memory for me, at least in professional sports, is probably Le'Veon Bell and the absolute disaster that was his situation. And you can look back and really question you know, his antics and, and his decision making because what he ended up doing was not for the best for him. But at the same time, if he were to sign the franchise tender, the first franchise tag with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he goes out and tears his ACL, he does not sign that $60 million deal with the Jets. Whether he ended up putting up more stats or not, he got paid by New York because of his decision making. And I think we like to have that very Monday morning quarterback approach on a lot of these athletes for the decisions they've made. But at the end of the day, these are people 
and they have to do what's in their best interest. And that was my take for, for live from the very beginning was screw it. You're not Tiger Woods. You're not Jack Nicholas. You're not out here chasing glory, Rory. No pun intended or, you know, it's a little <laughs> rhyme, but, but it's the truth. Like for sure, know, offer me a hundred million dollars. What am I going to sacrifice? Signing maybe, bonus. Yeah. Two, maybe two green jackets. Oh, no one's going to remember my name in a hundred years. I'm not Tiger Woods, you know, well, like I'm not Phil Mickelson and even Phil signed on because his career's over. Like it was mind boggling to me that they gave them so much, um, there's so much animosity around these athletes that chose to go to live. And listen, I understand that there is the notion that this is Saudi money and this is blood money and everything that was being, I understand the perspective, but it's also just not true. We drive cars with Saudi gas. We power our homes at times with Middle Eastern um, energy. Like there's everyone's at fault. And if you're going to use that, you're just a massive hypocrite. Yeah, and I mean, you got you could you could go all the way down the line with anything like yeah. the cobalt mines and all of our cell phones and all yes. the technology we're using to film this podcast, and we could go full tinfoil hat on this. And I agree yeah. with you, but just I think at the at the core of this is if at your day to day job right now you were offered a signing bonus, we'll just say ten x the signing bonus bonus 10x your current salary plus less time to work more time off better benefits the whole nine yards your family will be taken care of your kids kids will be taken care of basically you're taking that as yeah. as a human right and the fact that you convinced individuals in your organization not to take that because it was better for their legacy and their reputation moving forward just for you to turn your back on that statement. Honestly, maybe a year later, if not a little less than a year later says all that it needs to say. And I thought of the same thing, man. I thought about the franchise tag was the first thing I thought of when I was thinking about this. Well, I was like, okay, how can we, how can we loop this back to football or basketball or baseball, right? The sports that we cover on this podcast. And it's like that, that is the franchise tag. That is, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams recently, right? And Devontae came out with his comments, um, you know, whatever it was a couple weeks ago about they offered me $18 million when I should have been paid more because I was the best receiver in the league. And he forced his way out and rightfully so. You know what I mean? He went to go get top dollar. Um, I feel bad for Will Zalatoris, for Morikawa. For these guys that we're not even talking about that probably got offered, let's just say $25 million. That's a lot of money. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, I think the only sport that the players are actually getting what they're rightfully paid for and in more control almost than the owners is is the NBA. And I think of guys like Kyrie and James Harden, right? It's as annoying as it is, even Kevin Durant, I guess a little bit. As annoying as it is, they're just trying to play ball with the best players, you know? Like, take the legacy argument out of it, right? You're Kevin Durant. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I agree with you, but I would, and I and I will stand on this, this stance. The league and the NBA did that to themselves. And I say that because as soon as these teams started trading seven draft picks, five draft picks, they, they mortgage their future. Let's just say they mortgage their future. Sure to acquire a Kyrie Irving, a Kevin Durant. They had no choice. As soon as they say they're unhappy and we're not playing, 
will we have to go out and recoup some of the value that we gave away? If this were more like the NFL, where it's Devontae Adams and it's, hey, I'm not playing on the franchise tag. It's Tyreek Hill. Hey, I'm not playing on the franchise tag. Okay. Like we don't, we can just let you sit, but we've got the Raiders offering a first and a second, or we've got the Raiders offering a, whatever it might be, a package, right? Or we've got the Dolphins offering a really nice package. We're probably going to take that. But in reality, they could have just sat on that and said, no, we'll figure out the money in your contract extension next year. You don't have to, like, don't show up. You're not getting paid, you know, or, or show up and be a disruption. Like, we'll just put you to the side. The NFL has so much more power. When Brooklyn decided to mortgage its future, they gave away that power. When Houston mortgaged its future to go out and get Chris Paul, mortgage its future. Now, the Phoenix Suns have mortgaged their future with Kevin Durant. And it's completely given power away. So in the NBA, I feel like these, these owners, they, they just completely folded their hands with the hopes of chasing that glory just a little bit. And it all started with LeBron, right? It is a LeBron effect. Right, like, of course. It's a show we'll probably do once he's retired and actually trace back the tree of the impact and the legacy that he had with, with free agency and player um, power. But I don't see that in any other league because and I, I think all the way back to um, McKenzie for Green Bay, the cornerback, and I remember when he was upset and he he wanted to be traded and Green Bay just told him, absolutely not. It's not happening. Well, they ended up trading to the Saints, but they stood their ground because they knew they had the leverage. Same thing with Le'Veon Bell. Sit out. Like, okay, we're going to bring in, we're going to bring in Williams and he's going to come in and give us 80% of what you did. And you're <laughs> going to be the one that missed out on $12 million this year. And the last thing I wanted to add was, and I, this is something I want to ask you. This is back to like putting it into our own perspective in the workplace. If this happens to me at work, you know, um, my company says, hey, you know what, Matt, like they're offering you 10x, but we really feel like there's a place for you here. We feel like there's growth for you here. We feel like in the long term, you're better staying here for yourself, your family, like stay with us. And a year later, that company buys out the company that I would have gone to. And I have all my buddies that left took that 10x. They come right rolling back into the workplace, happy, excited, paid. I don't think I can be in the same room with them. Not because no, of their of decision, not. but because of my decision, right? It's a constant reminder of how this company screwed me and how I screwed myself in reality. I trusted something and it completely ripped that trust away from me. It's going to be really interesting to see how these golfers respond. Um, and I guess my question for you is, do you think guys like Rory and some of the other names that you mentioned, do you think they just leave the tour? I don't know if they'll leave the tour now because lives part of the tour. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the funny thing or the ironic thing about it, you know? Yeah. And it, you would think that with Matt, I mean, you would think with this deal and this hasn't been reported. This is all skepticism on my end is that with the deal, um, Somehow, some way, the top fucking, I don't know, we'll just say the top 15 players in the world, the John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa, some of the guys I talked about, right? Um, Max Homa, right? Like some of these big name guys that would have went for a lot of money to live and got offered a lot of money from live. You would think that they have to get some type of payout to stay happy. And I'm not saying a couple hundred million dollars, but something like it has to be something and and if it's not i don't I don't know what's gonna happen i don't think they'll leave the tour but it will there's there's got to be animal how's there not animosity 
Yeah. How, how are you not the guy? <laughs> Say, I'm the one who took the money you didn't, right? I'm coming back in the fucking clubhouse, right? You're Brooks Kepka. We'll, we'll go right to it. We'll, you're Brooks Kepka. Kepka. Yep. You just won the PGA Championship, right? You won the second Master of the Year. You've been getting fucking blacked out in Florida, watching Florida Panthers games, going to Heat games, just being the talk of the town. And then you find out that you're now colleagues with all the guys that turned down the money, you know? And, and you're going back into that clubhouse, chest out, King. not giving a shit, laughing. Yep. Literally like, oh, hey, fine. Here, here, take my money. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you want to get mad at me? Here's a thousand dollars. Throw it in your face. You know what I mean? Whatever the number is, um, it's it's gonna cause issues a hundred percent. Well, and, and I, I don't necessarily yeah. know if it'll cause issues between the players itself, because like you said, you'd be mad to be in the room with those other colleagues or coworkers, but you're not mad at them. You're mad at yourself, mm -hmm. right? And, and you're mad at yourself because you're mad at the man, whoever the boss is. So, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind it's going to cause an how, how is How does it not cause an issue? <laughs> well, and, and that's another like sad part to this, right? Like we don't see <clears throat> in pro sports big time money coming and say, hey, not only not only big time money, biggest in the world money. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna build a second league, and um, no matter how long it takes, how much money it takes, we've got it, and we're gonna do it just flat out, right? It's like if that happened in the NFL, it would be groundbreaking. Like this isn't right. Donald Trump coming in starting the USCFL or whatever it was, like right, or even the XFL with yeah. The Rock, you know, like it's it's fine. This is this is a guy coming in and saying, okay, Patrick Mahomes, I'll give you a billion a year. Aaron Rodgers, I'll give you $750 million a year. Like anyone that's good in the NFL, I'm buying and I'm taking them from you. And then it's like Aaron Rodgers saying, no, I'm good. Or, you know, Mahomes saying, no, I'm okay. And then joining forces. It's, it's mind boggling to see that this essentially helped continue a monopoly, which is the PGA. Um, I'm really interested to see the details of this deal because I, I want to see like how deep it goes and I want to see who got paid from this. That's a really interesting point that you make there before we wrap up and talk finals for a little bit is just what happens if the NBA has a has a league and they take LeBron James, Giannis, Kevin Durant, uh, Luka Doncic and um, Jokic, right? Boom. All of them go gone because they offer them whatever one a billion dollar contract each, right over X amount of year, fully guaranteed. Whatever they they go to they go to Europe or they go to play in X League there. Then what? What do you do? Because that that's actually a really good point. Because they said they have enough money, they don't care. We'll keep spending, right? We'll keep taking your players until you bend the knee, and they did because. Unfortunately, the NBA, the PGA, they don't have that kind of money. So that's that's a good point. You know, they really did just say, that's fine. We'll just wait because we we have the money that you don't. And unfortunately, money rules the world. So that's a good point you make. Well, and I think you, you made this comment off air. Um, and I think it's the most resounding truth I've heard with all of it. With Brooke Kepska's victory, how do you not merge? You know, yeah, you, you have... You have what is my mind, honestly, I Matt, I don't know golfing. I know Rory McIlroy. I know Brooks Kepka, I know Rochambeau or whatever the hell his name is. Um, <laughs> I know Mickelson. 
but I know the face of golf, at least right now, to me is Kepka. That's all I know is that Kepka is a badass and he's the marketable guy and he doesn't give a shit and he wins and he hits super long drives and sometimes he's awful and sometimes he's the best in the world. And he just took your title and he works for somebody else. Um, how do you not sign? And that was your point that right. you made. And I was like, yeah, I, I fully understand that. Like that is such a black eye on, on your league. Um, I, and maybe before we transition, I just wanted to ask you, um, my, the last piece of understanding that I had was that Kepka and the guys that signed with live were allowed to play in majors only. Was that correct? correct. Okay. Yep. Why did they even allow them to play in majors? Well, because from what I understand, except for the PGA Championship, so last year, all the majors aren't technically PGA events, meaning the Masters is not, I don't know if it's PGA sanctioned or what what the terminology there is, but the Masters is owned by the Masters, by Augusta National, right? Okay. The PGA Championship is owned by PGA. But the U.S. Open is owned by the U.S. Open, the committee or whatever it is. And then the British Open, um, which is the which is the fourth major, is owned by whatever the British Open. You know, I don't know the group, but whatever. So they're all into the the majors are independent of the PGA outside of the PGA Championship. But Kepka um, did win the PGA Championship. Correct. Right? So last year they barred him from all of them. Okay. But since last year. All the other majors besides the PGA let them play. I think the PGA did this year. And what was fucked up about last year, the PGA didn't let them play. The defending champ of the PGA last year was Phil Mickelson. So the defending champ didn't Mm. even play in the tournament, which was a whole black eye, black eye, black eye. So, yeah, you have enough of those moments. Kepka should have won the Masters, buckled on Sunday and ended up losing to John Rahm. Comes back, wins the next major here we are. He's, mm-hmm. you know, probably a top five golfer in the world right now. He's playing great golf. Um, it's interesting, man. It, it's really interesting. Well, and yeah, just to wrap, like what if Kepka doesn't, right? Does this deal get struck? You know, Kepka, you know, finishes seventh in the PGA championship. Does PGA continue to hold out continue to laugh at these individuals and say, well, you know, thank God he didn't win, but yep. Here he is. I, I think. I think to your to your question hypothetically, there. I think they keep dragging it out. Well, they mm-hmm. haven't won yet. The live still isn't as the live players that left aren't as good as they were when they're on PGA anymore, right? They're not as good. They're not as good. They keep buckling on Sunday. Phil can't get it done. Dustin Johnson's washed up, right? Like all these guys. Um, Kepka winning changed things big time for sure. Had to have. Yeah, dude, that might it may may very well look like in twenty years a LeBron moment of golf. You know, like Kepka's not LeBron status in terms of ability, but like you shift the foundation of the sport because you know again, Liv came in with their money. Like it'll be interesting to look back in history on this. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of history, we'll get to the last thing here. We're in the finals. Miami Heat. Brooks Kepka's Miami Heat <laughs> um, tied it up one one. Now, you took what? The Nuggets in six, right? I think so. I think you did. You took the Nuggets in six. I took the Heat in seven. I'm still all in on the Heat in seven. I think the reals... Well, we'll get to two things here. First of all, I do want to pat myself on the back. I did say that Aaron Gordon would play well to start the series. He did. He came out hot game one. Game two, he slowed down. Um, I thought what was interesting about what the Nuggets... Or, excuse me, what the Heat did against the Nuggets was exactly what... 
Coach Spo got mad about in the press conference. I don't. Did you see this, Matt? I'll, I'll I'll present you the question. But did you see Spolstra get upset after Game Two when they won? When I think it was Ramona Shelbourne asked the question, "Did you just let Jokic score and take away everybody else?" And just every time that he scores, I think it's like 40, forty points. Yep. Um, they have a losing record, and he basically called her a casual that didn't know basketball. But from the guy that watched, who's probably sure call me casual, whatever. And from everyone else that watched, including Steve Kerr, who came on Draymond's podcast the other day and said they let Jokic score. Um, it looked like that game plan worked. And then what it looked like was that Miami figured out how to slow down Jamal Murray just enough. And I'm, it gives me hope, man. I think Miami's going to win the fuck. I think they're going to win the title. So I stand by my in six. Um, I did see the interview. And it's funny because as more of a casual myself, um, For sure. I take a very different approach in any interview. I look at more of the psychological impact of the words and the body language. <clears throat> and I think Spolster was actually more upset that the strategy worked because he is such an analytical X's and O's coach. It shouldn't be that easy. I genuinely believe the question infuriated him because basketball is not supposed to be like that in his mind. That, that's what I took from it, where yeah. <clears throat> I shouldn't just have to allow the best player on the court to score 40 points. That sh- it shouldn't be that simple, right? And I also think game one, the Heat missed a lot of shots. Yep. And they continued to shoot because they were behind. Um, game one didn't tell me very much. It was It was a game one domination by the nuggets because the heat just couldn't hit a bucket to save their lives game two, the role player stepped up and hit their shots and this has been testament all postseason for miami is these guys these nobodies these undrafted free agents vincent's right the martins um have played really well and we saw that in game two and it actually made me really think about opportunity in the nba and this leverage concept of superstars that we have we just talked about when it comes to money and leverage and kind of paving your way to where you want to play because I think back to Jeremy Lin's opportunity that he had in New York when Lin sanity was going on. And I'm so captivated by the idea that Miami is giving opportunity shots and minutes to guys that otherwise would be not even in the league, if not 12th on the bench and how these guys are basketball players. These guys know how to play the game. They've made their lives out of being basketball players. They're giving opportunity to be hot and cold, game one, game two, and they're executing. And how incredible it is to maybe look at the NBA from a different lens and think to ourselves, maybe to create a star, maybe to create a role player, all you really have to do is just give them opportunity around a good core foundation, Butler, Bam, great coach, Hall of Fame coach, and have a little momentum on your side. Um, with that being said, I, I do think the Nuggets will be able to stop these undrafted free agents at times and enough throughout the playoffs to get a victory. Um, so I have an interesting question for you, and it revolves around Tyler Hero. So he broke his hand in the first round against my first game against Milwaukee. Um, they're saying that he's close to being back. Let's say hypothetically he's ready for game four. Miami, lo- let's say Miami loses game three. He's ready for game four. Do you as the coach throw him back in there and take minutes away from either Vincent Martin um, Robinson or Max Strews and throw off the rhythm just because he's probably on paper 
their third, potentially second best player. But we'll say third after Bam and Jimmy. Do you put him in their game four? Um, initial gut reaction would be absolutely not. Um, <laughs> right. Absolutely not. But um, because of everything you said, it's rhythm. It's it's rotational mo- movement. It's these guys have gotten here without him and against all odds. And game two showed that they're up for the challenge. Like, I, I think they will fall short, but they've shown that they can win this series. Now, if you see him in practice and he's just himself, I mean, maybe he's on fire. He, it doesn't look like he's missed a beat. I'm going to have a really hard time not playing him. Um, now, playing him, it might be 10, 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Get him in there. Hit a couple shots. You know, it, it's more of like, let's get him in end of the second quarter before halftime. Like, if he starts shooting the ball and he's warm and he's getting hot, okay, maybe you'll start the third. Um but I would have to see an incredible practice to even have him touch a minute of the floor because momentum is so important with this Heat's run that you can't sacrifice that rhythm for even your second best score. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was just curious to hear what you had to say about that because I, I agree. You can't take away the rhythm. Everyone knows their roles, knows their spots on the floor. There's really, really deep chemistry built within this team now at this point in time in the series, battling all the way through that game seven in Boston, obviously beating Milwaukee, but I wouldn't play him at all. I'd shut him down, even if he's 100% healthy, even if they're down 3-1, shut him down. You die with the, you die with the ship. You know, that, well, and, that's how I feel about it. And this is the biggest drum that I'll bang and have been banging for the last five, six years in the NBA with um, minutes restrictions and rest days. And I think it's been a really big detriment to, to the Milwaukee Bucks is having Chris in and out. I don't dislike Chris, but what Chris has, his untimely injuries has really thrown off the rhythm of Milwaukee at times. And Kawhi's injuries, you know, Paul George's injuries, we can list the names. You don't give these guys the opportunity to become a team. And look at the Suns. Yeah, look at the Suns. But look at the Heat. The Heat should be the number one blueprint for every team in the NBA. How do we get to the finals? We build a team and we push that team to the absolute limit every single game, every single minute, the whole year. And there's a chance that they can become so good together that they can beat much better teams, you know, much on paper. Um, Sure. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's I, I I want Miami to win at this point. I just, God, it's it's going to be an interesting. I feel you. Yeah. Denver's season. fantastic. They're and I so mean, good. Yeah, Denver's fantastic. You talked about it the past couple of weeks now that this has been the matchup that you love the Murray Jokic combo. I, I don't disagree with you. I think the guard center combination is unmatched in the NBA. And look, Denver didn't play that good, and they still had a chance to tie the game with the last shot. So, I mean, they're right there. They're at home. They played much better in Denver all postseason. Um, than they did on the road. They played much better in Denver all regular season than they did on the road. So we'll see. I mean, if Miami can walk out of Miami up 3-1, like they have a really, really good shot. I have a feeling this series is going to be 2-2 by the time we start recording again. Um, I will be gambling when we're in Vegas. Obviously, <laughs> um, I'm going to hammer the heat. I think the last I saw there, it was like plus four or something like that. I'll be hammering the heat plus money all day. I'll probably sprinkle a little bit on the money line for game three. Um, Follow my Twitter at Matt underscore guest. I will be posting my bets while I'm in Las Vegas because that's what the beautiful state of Nevada lets you do. Unlike out here in prison. 
that is california <laughs> even though i love the beach um but yeah man i'm looking forward to the rest of this finals i'm all in on the heat and hey look matt matt you know what's fucking crazy bro what's hilarious about this heat run people already forgot about how disappointing our milwaukee bucks were i saw i've seen multiple posts on twitter who was the most disappointing team this playoffs boston philadelphia the lakers the suns and i'm like Oh, people already forgot that the Bucks lost in the first round after having the best record in the NBA. Right on. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I just I think you have to give them a pass with the Giannis injury and um, have to. And I think firing the coach was a representation of the failure that was the inability to get this roster to play. And I'm not really sold on who they hired. We'll see. Um, Apparently, Giannis liked them. And hey, Aaron Rodgers 2.0. Here we go. <laughs> um, no, nah, I'm just kidding. But the last thing I wanted to add was um, again, I haven't watched basketball this postseason because it hasn't had time to do it. But ironically, the one game I watched was Jokic's 40 point performance against the Suns, where they lost. And I was like, oh man, like maybe the Suns have them this series. Like, you know, Jokic played so well and they just weren't enough. And then they went on to just roll them. Um, it was an interesting game to watch because Murray was shut down in the the small third and fourth quarter that I got to watch. He, you know, he wasn't able to to create and to make plays outside of a few easy layups that Jokic was ultimately the reason and the creator for. And that's what gives me hope. Um, I will be working again tomorrow, so I can't watch Game Three, which sucks. But um, man, it's just it's nice to have really good basketball, and it's nice not to have dominance in this in this. Uh, finals you know I, th I think back to so many years now where it's been Durant and it's been uh, Curry and it's been LeBron like it's really nice to have a, another Milwaukee um, Phoenix series where you're like damn this is basketball like anything could happen any night it's a credit to the heat yeah for sure last thing about that Suns game is what you said when we recorded is you or whatever the Nuggets game against the Suns is you said the Nuggets never gave up they never mm -hmm. settled for anything. They kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and they had a shot to win it, and Jokic just happened to turn the ball over in that game and lose them the game. Yeah, I shouldn't say they lost the game lost after the that game. possession, yeah. right? And you were like, I loved how they chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, came up short, and here we are about a month later. So, yeah, man. Um, look at that. We're right about the 60-minute mark. Let's wrap it up. I will see you Two in days. a couple days. I will see the audience via our podcast <laughs> next week. You can catch us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, at PitcherBetPod. Like I said, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore guest, G-E-S-T, by the way. If you'd like some bets, hopefully we all win together. Last time I bet a lot when I was in a legal betting state was March Madison. It went well. So everyone have a great weekend. Cheers.